Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning lovely friends, welcome to another saunter and it's a lovely day, birds are singing, sky's blue. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us today. So Lord, we love you and we want you to be with us today. We want your spirit to be singing in our hearts as loudly as that robin is and just filling our hearts with joy. Lord, speak to us as we look at your word. Amen. Fabulous. We're in Luke chapter 20 today and Jesus is having a... we see Jesus really facing a concerted kind of attack from a different group than he typically faces. He usually seems to be in trouble with the the Pharisees, but then in the background are the scribes and then the chief priests and so on. And so the Pharisees were very legalistic and very focused on the law and how they could observe every single minute detail of the law and they were supposedly deeply religious. The scribes were supposed to be um, the the experts who were able to teach that law to the people and communicate it well, but they tended to love the celebrity status more than uh, certainly in Jesus' time, certainly the things that Jesus finds fault with them over is that, precisely that, that they love the celebrity life and they like to swan around in their finery. They didn't actually work physically and so they could kind of go around and critique everybody else's work nightmare good morning Paul great to see you brother and uh, the chief priests who were obviously they had a ceremonial function but it seems that the Sadducees and the scribes and the chief priests morning Isaac were very much about political advancement and they sided with the Roman Empire they collaborated and sort of colluded and their their interest was very self-centered. They were interested in preserving their way of life. They were materialistic and they did not believe in the supernatural or the resurrection. And it has to be said, good morning, Isaac and Ruth and Chris and Fran. Great to see you. Um, It has to be said that these parallels are still present in the church today. We still see people who deny the supernatural, who want to get on in this life and who want political advancement. They want to kind of side with the spirit of the age. And we see that kind of liberal, kind of everything goes type of mindset creeping into the church. And on the other extreme, we see the kind of uh, the tough fundamentalist type of kind of legalistic, attitude where 
oh, you know, and, and the battle lines seem to be drawn. And even in Jesus's day, they were certainly drawn. And it was, Jesus was right in the middle of all of this, saying there is something better that God has for you than this extreme or that extreme. And it's not balance either. It's not the kind of middle mushy way. It's something much more radical and wonderful, glorious. And so good morning, Pat and Mike, and good morning, Alison. Uh, so one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders, so the whole kind of hierarchy of Jewish society at the time kind of gathered and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things. Now these guys are interested in politics. They're very politically aware and therefore they are very concerned about Jesus's authority. What mandate, what gives you the right to do the things you're doing? On what authority, on what basis? And Jesus clearly had authority and he clearly had popularity, which was something they deeply craved. And he said, by, by, they said, tell us by what authority you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I will also ask you a question classic Jesus <laughs> answer a question with a question let me put one to you first now tell me was the baptism of John from heaven or from man and they discussed it with one another saying if we say from heaven he will say why did you not believe him but if we say from man all the people will stone us to death for they are convinced that John was a prophet so they answered that they did not know where it came from and Jesus said to them neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things he's already told them he's already said if I by the finger of God cast out demons then you know the kingdom of heaven has come to you he's already told them he's not kept it a secret but he knows right now they're trying to trick him they're trying to set him up good morning Sal Moon great to see you buddy and great conference and uh, he, he knows they're trying to trick him. He knows they've set him up and he's not going to fall into it because there is a timing that Jesus is following and he knows he's not going to precipitate things until the exact right time. But this is really interesting because when we desire to please people, listen to me, this is really important. When we desire to please people, when we crave the oxygen of approval from other people, we will become passive aggressive. We will resort to subterfuge, manipulation, and all kinds of devious strategies to try and get our own way. But you see, in the end, these are indirect people. They're political. They want to get, they want to trap Jesus, but they don't want to kind of really come out and condemn John either because everybody believes John's a prophet and they fear getting stoned or our equivalent would be they fear falling from popularity, whatever. Do you know what I mean? And so this, this is a real trap. And God was speaking to me interestingly this morning about that very thing. And then I start reading this and I'm thinking, wow, that is so cool. Do not fall into the trap of trying to please people to make the church grow because it is a vortex with no way out. And it, it makes us become horrible, less than who we really are supposed to be, less than who God has called us to be. So verse nine, <clears throat> and he began to tell the people, this parable, a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went to another country for a long while. And when the time 
came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, there are clear scriptures in the Old Testament. There's one in Ezekiel where God compares Israel to a vineyard. He said, I planted myself a vineyard. And he's, so this would have pressed some buttons, certainly for the scribes who were experts in the law, experts in the Old Testament scripture, the prophets and so on. And so they would have known that the compass needle was pointing to them and this was going to be a uh, lookout. Here we go. He's, he's aimed his Gatling gun at us and he's going to start shooting us with bullets now. And so when the time came, he sent, his, sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treat him, treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. So the guy has planted this vineyard, he's expecting some kind of rent payment and so he's saying right when you get to the time of fruitfulness I'm going to send some servants and they'll come and collect some of the profit from this vineyard as, as by way of rent. So these guys show up, they get beaten up and they don't get anything, they go back empty handed. And so um, verse 12 and he sent yet a third. And this one they also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, when the scribes and the chief priests and the elders heard this, they're like, crikey, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus is saying, listen, this is is you guys this is the nation of israel this is well it's judah now isn't it that's all that's left this is jerusalem this is judah this is the the the, the chosen people of god this vineyard that god planted and he sent servants he sent prophets and saying turn your hearts back to me i'm not after money i'm not after grapes or wine or whatever it might be the produce from a vineyard i'm after that devotion i'm after that love that affection that worship that surrender that one nation under god this is what i'm after and then they they in the end he sends his own son and of course he's talking about himself and they would have known that and so he tells the story of how the son was beaten and killed and then they would finally have shrugged off the rule of God. And they're like, surely not. Surely you can't be talking about us. And it's a bit like Judas when Jesus is with the disciples at the Last Supper and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all go round one after the other and say, is it I? You know, is it me you're talking about? And Judas does the same. And yes, it is. It is him. And there's this horrible, oh, surely not, Lord. You know, kind of creepy, self-righteous. Oh, And anyway, 
So Jesus is uh, really kind of pointing to them and saying, listen, this is why this whole thing, this is why I've prophesied in the chapter before about embankments being built up outside the city and the whole city coming down and no stone being left on top of each other. This is why. It's because God planted you as a nation. He planted this whole vineyard. He was looking for fruit. He was desiring worshippers who would worship him in spirit and truth. And actually, what has he got? He's got a bunch of self-seeking, obsequious, obnoxious, I'm thinking of long words right now, um, people who serve themselves and actually completely miss the whole point of what it was all about from the beginning. And it's like there's the Psalm 2 where it says, why do the nations rage and the, the, why do the people's rage and the nations plot a vain thing? It's because they want to shrug off the rule of God. They don't want to bring their lives under the lordship of his son, of his anointed one. And Jesus is saying, this is actually you guys as well as the nations. So tough word from Jesus right there. Verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. So his point was not wasted on them. But they feared the people there again. This is it. This is the invidious nature of the fear of man it's yuck, yucky yucky and so what do they do they resort to subterfuge they resort to underhand dealings and kind of manipulative ways so they feared the people but they feared the people so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? So they're all, you know, these guys are in cahoots with Caesar. They're in cahoots with the Roman government. It's suiting them very well. It's preserving their position in society albeit the rest of the nation is under oppression, these guys are doing all right. And yet now they're kind of making this kind of case. Oh, surely, you know, maybe he's a revolution. We can trap him now because if he speaks against Caesar, we've got him. But he perceived their craftiness and he said to them, show me a denarius. A denarius is the coin that was a day's pay. Whose likeness and description does it have? And they said Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So good. That is such a profound truth. It's been quoted by endless politicians and states, men and women and preachers and mums and dads, whatever, for literally centuries it's been quoted. And it's such a profound truth. It means if there's a tax we are supposed to pay we need to pay it just get on with it pay up and look big as my granny used to say and uh and then but make sure you're giving to god what is god's this is the point he's oh. anyway so jesus is cutting this line right down through all the baloney and uh, rhetoric of these guys and he's saying listen there is a way and god is after your hearts he's these guys are just trying to trick him and tie him up in legal knots. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marvelling at his answer, they became silent. You can imagine them, can't you, thinking, 
Dang, we lost that one, guys. We need to think again. We need to come up with a better strategy. He is way too smart for us. But actually what Jesus was, was he was smart, but he was using the wisdom of God. You remember, he said to us, didn't he, as his disciples, when you're put in these situations, you're, you're up before rulers. What Jesus was, it was an unofficial court. They were holding him to account. He said, the Holy Spirit will speak in your heart and give you the wisdom and the words to say. And right now, good morning, Amire. Great to see you, buddy. Um, right now, Jesus is on the spot, but God gives him this incredible wisdom and these beautiful answers. And when we're on the spot and the enemy has got us in a corner and we're facing people and we have to give an account, let's dig deep and say, come on then, Holy Spirit. Right now, even before we pray, he'll have put that word into our hearts and given us the wisdom to speak. And Jesus does not come across as defensive or bigoted or annoying. He comes across just beautifully clear and calm and in control. I just love it. I find him so utterly attractive. As a guy, he is just so beautiful. The way he speaks with such authority and clarity. Oh, anyway, right, I'm going to, I'm rambling. So here we go. Verse 27, they came, there came to him some Sadducees. This is the same crew, really. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're sided with the political elite. They're all part of this kind of coterie of power and self-whatever, you know, self-congratulation and whatever, self-seeking. And those who deny there is a resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children... The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her <coughs> as a wife. This is going to be their favourite little religious conundrum that satisfies their Sadducee mindset which says the resurrection's a load of baloney no one believes that stuff anymore that's just nuts that's all our grandparents believed all that stuff we don't believe that and they were much more enlightened and wise and they thought this conundrum is going to really catch Jesus out because it catches everybody out and it makes us look great and smug and we can all sit around and be smug together and Jesus said to them, verse 34, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they're equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So he's saying, listen, guys, this is different. This is all different. You've got it all wrong. You're looking at this from a very, very mortal human mindset something changes there is a different order of life once the resurrection has happened and he he talks about people considered worthy and it's those whose name is written in the lamb's book of life who are considered worthy of the resurrection as we know which is jesus's book those who've given their hearts over to him those who surrendered their lives to him they're the ones who share in this glorious resurrection when this life is done 
and we're welcomed into the presence of God forever and ever. And he says something has changed then. We're no longer mortal. We will know each other. We will have relationships. We'll recognize each other clearly. The scripture tells us in other places. But he says, You're, these guys are the sons of God. They're the sons and daughters of God. They're like the angels. There's something different. We don't need sex and that kind of intimacy anymore because we have true intimacy which sex is only reaching towards that kind of true knowledge and love for each other that true connection sex is about connection isn't it it's about finding that deep deep connection with a person and he said but actually do you know what in the resurrection there's going to be a different kind of connection which is amazing but verse 37, but here we are onto the theological point that you're getting at. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. And then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. So what he's saying is when God reveals himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Suggesting strongly that they are alive just as he is. And he's their God still. Come on, you've got to get this stuff. This is so good. So Jesus has got them again the scribes realize this guy is on another league from us we can't really do much about it theologically and so they commend him which is good i'm glad they did i'm glad they got to that sort of grudging acknowledgement that jesus actually was saying some pretty cool stuff verse 41 but he said to them how can they say that see he hasn't finished jesus is not over yet so he said to them how can they say that the christ is david's son for david himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him, thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And so what Jesus is doing there, he's picking up the scripture in Psalm 110, where David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Jesus is saying, actually, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? And so David is saying, David is referring to, so they knew that the Christ was going to be David's son, but they, Jesus was trying to make a point to them that actually David's son, this Messiah, is actually David's Lord as well. So when David is referring to God and the son he's saying the lord said to my lord and so he's saying this is this son that will come from my lineage is actually also my lord he is the messiah he is the christ he is my lord i love it that even david can see into the future that well david's an incredible prophet and he sees into the future so clearly and he says this messiah that will come from my lineage will also be my Lord. And Jesus picks up on this, makes a beautiful point. Very important theological point. It's not just trivia. This is really important stuff. And it all is like this big belt that kind of you 
pull it all together, the scripture pulls itself together and makes these incredibly consistent points about Jesus and about the Son of God and his identity, who he is and his deity and so on. Verse 45, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honour at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So Jesus clearly, even when they congratulated him on his answers and seemed to give him some kind of acknowledgement, Jesus wasn't particularly taken in by it. And he said, woe to these guys. You need to stay away from them. They're not a help. They're supposed to be the people who, like in the days of Ezra, interpreted the scripture and helped the people to understand it. But actually, they're just making it difficult and complicated, tripping people up whilst looking after themselves and they're even getting widows to donate their houses to them and all this kind of stuff. Jesus said they're in for trouble. <laughs> they are in for trouble. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen, just today, just watch out for that kind of, that invidious trap to be a people pleaser. It's a very common thing in British society and in the church. It doesn't mean we've got to go out of our way to be obnoxious and difficult and annoying, but it does mean that we just need to find our own centre and walk with God and be consistent and be full of integrity because he loves it. He loves that worship that comes from a heart that is able to worship in spirit and in truth. Have an amazing day. May God bless you and smile on you and give you success in all you do. Amen. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.